Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Grass withers, the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. What kind of a congregation do we want to build here? What are, there are many different goals we could undertake. What do we want to have happen at First Christian Church? We could put up many different goals. For, for some, the goal is a large congregation. What we want to have is a lot of people in the room. And so we will expend any cost, any sort of marketing, any sort of measures we have to kind of undertake to get people in the doors because what we want more than anything, is a large congregation. We want a full building. And certainly, that is desirable. There is no part of me that would be upset if we had a lot of people liking what we were doing on a Sunday morning as opposed to a few people. Certainly, that is a desirable um, result, a desirable thing to have happen, a full uh, church, a full congregation on a Sunday morning. But do we want a full congregation? Is that a goal as a primary objective? Or is the goal to have a faithful, joyous congregation, no matter its size? A large congregation, doing whatever it takes to get that, or a faithful congregation, full of the true joy that is found in the gospel. I'm all for a large congregation, but not at the expense of a faithful one. What we want to build here more than anything else is that those of us who are gathering together are truly in Christ, truly a faithful, grounded, in the joy of Christ congregation. Part of my task as leader at the church and for anyone who's in leadership at the church is a call for to devotion to Christ and a call to make false professions of pretenders to make them sweat a little bit in their seats. Do you, that's, do you know that? That's what Jesus is getting at in this text. He is pushing upon those who would claim a Christianity 
that isn't authentic Christianity. If you are here and you, and you do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and worth of every ounce of your life, I want sitting through one of our services to make you squirm in your seat a little bit. I mean, I, I want people to come in and certainly there is this enjoyment and encouragement. Yes, come in, come and see, come and hear. But I want you to be challenged on the grand realities of life. I want you to squirm a little bit. I want someone to be a little uncomfortable if they do not have Jesus as their joy and treasure and savior. Because... It's, it's good for us to wrestle with what are we really doing? What do you do with the truth claims of Jesus Christ? It's what Luke is writing these things down for. That so that Theophilus might have a certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. These realities of who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means for our lives. Do we have any category in our mind for a false disciple? For someone who claims to be a Christian, has the name of Christian, has all the religious dressings, but in reality, they are very, they're far from God. It's very trendy today to just say, well, if you take the name of Christian, therefore we, we take your word for it, and, and then therefore you must be. But if someone says they love God, but have nothing to do with Him, and seem to have a life that does not reflect Him in any way, do we have to take them at their word and, 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 and not question what's going on in this person's life? Think of the radical position Jesus takes here. This is Darren being hard on people. Look at what Jesus is saying. You cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He's addressing the person who possibly has followed him all of his ministry, has left many things, jobs, gone and following Jesus. But for some reason, they get to a certain point and says, Jesus, I'll follow you to here. But once it gets this far, I can't go any further. I'll follow you up to this point. But if it comes to loving you more than my family, I can't go there. Jesus says, what? If that's your breaking point, you cannot be my disciple. You say, Jesus, I'll give you all. I'll give you 80% of what I have. But 20% of these things, they're mine. Jesus says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Today we celebrate those who put themselves and their own interests first as though it's some accomplishment. You do you. Look at you. You know, stay true to yourself. We, we celebrate those who put themselves upon the pedestal, who live their lives upon their own desires and wishes and dreams and inclinations and heart feelings. We celebrate that today. Jesus doesn't celebrate anyone who puts themselves first. He doesn't, and the apostles don't either. If you have your Bible out still, I encourage you to turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul here writing to his protege at the church at Ephesus, Timothy, describes what's going to happen to people in the times to come. The 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Children, are you listening? 
This is godlessness, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Paul is warning against these people who have an appearance of godliness, yet at the core of who they are, they are far from who God truly has for them to be. Look at this list. What jumps out at you just right off the bat? People will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. The first indictment cuts you to the core. This is the bread and butter, butter, brother, bread and butter of our existence. Learning day, our fallen nature, our fallen state is all about the centrality of self, love for self. And this is exactly the thing that Jesus is pressing upon, is he not? What's he calling for? He says to forsake your father, mother, brother, sister, children, all of these things, even your own self. If you do not hate even your own life, you cannot be his disciple. Jesus is calling for total devotion to himself over all things. Main point for this morning is that there is no dilemma for the Christian between giving up all and keeping Christ or keeping all and losing Christ. And the joy of this reality plays out in their daily lives in thousands of ways. There's no dilemma for the Christian. I know this is a long main idea, but there's no dilemma for the Christian between giving up all and keeping Christ or keeping all this stuff and losing Christ. And the joy of this reality plays itself out daily in their lives in thousands of different ways. This is a radical call in our world today, is it not? We live in a society where basically no organization gets our devotion over our own personal interest. This isn't just a problem in the church. I mean, if you're involved in civic organizations in the community, are they not dwindling and even their attendance at just regular social groups? That uh, the, the Chamber, Lions, um, all these different organizations that are out there as they struggle to get people involved because... Our culture, we are, we are, our, this, the self is becoming so central that anytime something conflicts with what I might prefer or what I might want to do, I win. I win. I am chief. My own self-interest is chief in my life. And you cannot find people to join these groups and volunteers because if that contradicts and, and provo- provokes any level of personal inconvenience, They're totally justified at putting themselves above all else. Now, the church is not just another civic organization, but the problems have the same root. Sinfulness expressing itself in selfishness and self-love. And this is exactly the attitude that cannot exist in a Christian disciple. The call to follow Christ is one of absolute allegiance. And the way, this is the way that Jesus speaks of it. He says, hate. Now, if you don't like that term of hate, you can look at a parallel passage back in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus speaking the same way, but he's just twisting a little bit. So it doesn't use the word hate if you don't like the word to hate. So we got Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is speaking of in this hate language is this reality that love for Christ supersedes all other loves. This is the language that Jesus used. You get the concept of what he is saying that anyone who does not hate those things in his life cannot be Christ's disciple. Christ must be first in the life of his disciples. Now, it's not rare to have calls for allegiance. When you pled, when you, if you were to become a naturalized citizen of the United States, what's involved in that is a, is a rejection of all other allegiances. Here's the pledge you would say if you're going to become a naturalized citizen. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of, which, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. When you become a citizen, a naturalized a citizen of the United States, you reject all other allegiances to the legion, to legions to this country. It's not a rare thing to call for, if you're going to become our disciple, if Jesus is calling, if you're going to become his disciple, it is rejecting, rejecting allegiances to everything else, yes, even your own self, in order to follow him. So the question becomes personal. Where do our allegiances lie? If I were to take a recording of your conversation throughout this past week, would there be any evidence of your allegiance to King Jesus? Go back over the conversations you have with your spouses, with, with your spouse, with your children, with uh, friends, co-workers. Uh, is there any evidence in your life that would convict you of your allegiance to King Jesus? Or I could ask it this way, are there any, is there anything in this past week in your life that you said no to that would convince a jury of your allegiance to King Jesus? It's easy to say, well, I had lots of things I said yes to. Um, so you could say, well, I did this. I'm here this morning. I had lots of things that I said yes to. But yes, sometimes if it coincides with what you kind of want to do anyway or it's, it doesn't really conflict with anything, you can say yes to all kinds of things. The question is, have you said no to anything you wanted to do out of sake of a lead, the sake of allegiance to King Jesus? What have you wanted to do and said no to because of your allegiances to King Jesus? Down to the smallest of issues. Have there been things that have conflicted with your prayer time, scripture reading time, that you've said, I can't do that. I, I, I want to do this other thing, but I, I can't. I've got to turn that down. I've got to say no to this thing because of just even on those, that's small of a level. Is there anything you've said no to? Are there things you really wanted to say? Think about your speech. Are there, are there comments you really wanted to make to somebody this past week? Nasty, snarky comments. Let's be honest. You, you've got them in there. That you decide, I cannot say, I want to say this. Everything in me wants to say this. But I can't do it. 
because I have allegiances to King. It'd make me feel better to get my little barb in there, but I'm going to turn that down out of allegiance to King Jesus. Is there anything you say no to? I don't have the record I'd like to have. I don't have the record I would like to have that would convict me of guilty of allegiances to King Jesus. Do we ask these tough questions? If we never do the things Christ has asked us to do or only do them when they don't contradict a desire of ours, can we really say we're his disciple? If we only do the things Christ is asking of us because they don't conflict with our desires, are we really his disciples? I wanted to share this story with you this week. This is out of China. Um, it's one of the main reasons why we're back into, I just was convicted and challenged by this story. China, back in um, July, I think, of 2017, passed some laws really restricting house churches. And house churches, basically, in China, any unregistered church, like they have state-sanctioned churches, you can register your church with the state, and they're okay with that, which means you have all kinds of regulations coming in from the state. Uh, but they passed a law really tightening down. So a house church is a church that's undocumented, um, but they can be huge. There's this church in Beijing has 1,500 people that attended over five different services. That's a, technically a house church. They're unregistered. Real easy for them to get. A, they, were, they were allowed to be there, but China said, you know, we'll let you stay if you allow us to put cl- closed circuit television and video cameras in your church so we can view everything you're doing in there. Um, China is really cracking down. It isn't just Christians, Muslims are being cracked down on that. If you have basically a monotheistic religion, they, they were, there was a group of Muslims in North uh, China, Western China trying to sneak off into Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan or one of those smaller countries to get out of the oppression. And they, they captured them all, put them in determined camp and are essentially brainwashing. Uh, they have to sing songs to the state give thanks to the state before the meals. China is just really cracking down on um, their churches. So they did end up closing. They have armed guards outside of this church in Beijing um, to shut down their, um, their church services. So here's a picture. I've got a, a photograph of three of these pastors there in China. Um, there is, on the left is Wang Yi from Early Rain Covenant Church. In the middle is Yang Hua in Living Stone Church. And then on the right is Jin Mingri, I suppose, of the Beijing Zion Church. If you, if China was cracking, these are, so I'm, I'm only putting this up here to emphasize, this is really happening. And this isn't like um, Darren's fanciful story about something that's going on. This is happening. These are three uh, flesh and blood men in China facing this persecution. What do you do? What do you do when faced with something of this level? What, where does it, what does it bring out of you? What would you do in the face of this persecution? Well, this is what our brothers and sisters in Christ did. They wrote a statement. Well, what big, big deal? What's a, what good is a statement? Well... People make lots of declarations, but they, they wrote a statement and 116 pastors signed their name, their name, their church, to this statement. I've got it here. I just want to read it to you. This is a joint statement by pastors, a declaration for the sake of the Christian faith. It says this, We are a group of Chinese Christians chosen by the Most High God to be His humble servants, serving as pastors for Christian churches throughout various towns and cities. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that the one true and living triune God is a creator of the universe, of the world, and of all people. 
all men should worship God and not any man or thing. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that all men, from national leaders to beggars and prisoners, that, that we believe have, they have sinned. That teach them that the world, all men have sinned. There we go. They will die once and then be judged in righteousness. Apart from the grace and redemption of God, all men would eternally punish. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that the crucified and risen Jesus is the only head of the global church, the sole savior of all mankind, and the everlasting ruler and supreme judge of the universe. To all who repent and believe in him, God will give eternal life and an eternal kingdom. That's a good, good statement. So far, they're just making statements. In September, in September 2017, they've released this regulations on the administration of religious affairs and started implementing them February of 2018. Ever since then, Christian churches across China have suffered varying degrees of persecution, contempt, and misunderstanding from government departments during public worship and religious practices including various administrative measures that attempt to alter and distort the Christian faith. Some of these violent actions are unprecedented since the end of the Cultural Revolution. These include demolishing crosses on church buildings, violently removing expressions of faith like crosses and couplets hanging on Christians' homes, forcing and threatening churches to join religious organizations controlled by the government, forcing churches to hang the national flag or to sing secular songs praising the state and political parties, banning the children of Christians from entering churches and receiving religious education. Sunday school this morning, outlawed. Don't teach your kids Christianity. Couldn't do it. And depriving churches and believers of the right to gather freely. We believe that these unjust actions are an abuse of the government power and have led to serious conflicts between political and religious parties in Chinese society. These actions infringe upon the human freedoms of religion and conscience and violate the universal rule of law. Down the next paragraph. We are even more obligated to proclaim good news to the authorities and to all of society. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Savior and King of mankind, in order to save us sinners, was killed, was buried, and rose from the dead by the power of God, destroying sin and death. In His love and compassion, God has prepared forgiveness and salvation for all who are willing to believe in Jesus, including Chinese people. At any time, anyone can repent from any sin. They're calling the secular leaders to repentance. Can repent from sin, turn to Christ, fear God, obtain eternal life, and bring great blessing from God upon his family and country. Four declarations. We won't read them all, but here's what they say. That's just a preamble. They're really laying it down. They're giving these, these, the, the ministers, the leaders of the community, the gospel. Here's their declarations. We believe... The Christian churches in China believe unconditionally the Bible is the word of God and the revelation of God. It is the source and final authority of all righteousness, ethics, and salvation. If the will of any political party, the laws of any government, or the commands of any man directly violate the teachings of this Bible, harming men's soul, and opposing the gospel proclaimed by the church, we are obligated to obey God rather than men. And we are obligated to teach all members of the church the same. Down in the second point, says that when the churches refuse to obey evil laws, it does not stem from a political agenda. It only stems from the demands of the gospel. The third one, Christian churches in China are willing to obey authorities in China whom God has appointed and to respect the government's authority to govern society and human conduct. We believe 
and are obligated to teach all believers in the church that the authority of the government is from God and that as long as the government does not overstep the boundaries of secular power laid out in the Bible and doesn't interfere with or violate anything related to faith or the soul, Christians are obligated to respect the authorities, to pray fervently for their benefit, and to pray earnestly for Chinese society. Listen. For the sake of the gospel, we are willing to suffer all external losses brought about by unfair law enforcement. Out of a love for our fellow citizens, we are willing to give up all of our earthly rights. Down to the last of the fourth one. But under no circumstances will we lead our churches to join a religious organization controlled by the government, to register with the religious administration department, or to accept any kind of affiliation. We also will not accept any ban or fine imposed on our churches due to our faith. For the sake of the gospel, we are prepared to bear all losses, even the loss of our freedom and our lives. I read all of that. That's a modern statement. 116 Christian pastors signed this statement out on the internet of their names. This is the stance we are taking. For the sake of the gospel, even if it means our imprisonment and our death, we will stand for the gospel. Put yourself in the shoes of someone in China. Do you sign this document? Do you put your name out there? The, the, the government is persecuting. The government is cracking down. Do you sign it? They have closer, they're watching the church services. They have spies in there. They're watching. Do you raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I agree with that statement? Do you think of it this way? This morning we're going to come to communion. Do you get up and come forward to communion and make a confession that this is a truth that is so central to who I am, to, to everything that I believe, that no power, no government can keep me at the sake of my own self from doing that which is obedient to Christ. Do you walk forward? That's a modern day reality. Come to a problem. Who in their right mind would do that? I mean, honestly. You've got, you've got two choices. Just stay quiet. Keep everything you want. China's abundant. Prosperity, you know, you can get into, get into the city. Have everything you want. Live for yourself. Have no problems. Sing songs to the state. And get by with the rest. Just cruise out the rest of your life in complete pleasure and safety and security. Or you can forsake everything and get Jesus. That's the message we have to sell. That's the message we have to sell. Only those who truly see and know the worth of Jesus would ever say such a thing. You can take it all. You can take it all. And if I have Jesus, I have gain. That's what Philippians 3 is all about. I consider everything is lost. Everything is rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Having a righteousness not of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Jesus is of such a high treasure. And we talk about this cost of discipleship. It's heavy. Doesn't it feel heavy? Forsake it all to follow Jesus. It feels heavy. What do you, I, I could have so much. And in our prosperous American lives, you could go out and have so much. Forsake it all just for Jesus? Yes, because it isn't just getting Jesus. 
the reality that Christ challenges us. What does it profit a man, Luke 9 says, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Nothing. It profits him nothing. But what does it profit a man if he loses the whole world and gains Christ? Everything. It gains him everything. This is what the Chinese pastors know. This is what Christ is holding forward here. This is at its root. It isn't an issue of stirring up enough courage. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk and I'm just going to somehow find the strength and, and be bold. This isn't about being strong. This is about treasuring that which is truly valuable. Stirring, not stirring up the courage, but stirring up love and affection for Christ, the one who is truly worthy of all our love and affection. Remember the judgment you deserved. If left to yourself and your own sinfulness, you have nothing but the wrath of God coming for you. Deserved judgment. You had no righteousness of your own. And remember the grace of God that saves you that sends His Son into the world. Christ lives, Christ dies, Christ is resurrected, so that everyone, by the grace of God, who repents and and looks to Christ, is forgiven of that sin and reconciled to God, safe and secure in His arms forever, with a security, with a treasure, with an eternal life that cannot be stolen away. He bought you with His own blood and so secures you with His sovereign and omnipotent hand that nothing can take you from Him. They can take the world from you, but they cannot take your Savior from you. They cannot take your God from you. No trouble in this life, no persecution, no sorrow, no disease, and not even death itself can take you from His grasp. If you are His, you are safe and secure through every trial that comes your way in this life. Those who see this gladly say, My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. And may God be glorified with my life and with my everything. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that You would give us eyes to see clearly the immense value that you have the immense value of what is given to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get you we can sit here and call you father I deserve to get your ear never and yet through the work of your son you hear our petitions you hear our prayers you hear our cries for mercy and you answer What a gift, what a treasure is this gospel for us, God. Give us eyes to see it in such profound, overwhelming ways that we hear the call from Christ. Anyone who is not willing to forsake it all and follow me cannot be my disciple. We look at that and think, no problem. To get you, Jesus, to be reconciled to my Father in heaven, gladly, gladly, just give me Jesus. Give us eyes to see it, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.